We are the Borg. Lower your shields and surrender your ships. We will add your biological and technological distinctiveness to our own. Your culture will adapt to service us. Resistance is futile. Greetings, Earthlings, and welcome back to the Star Trek Hit or Miss podcast. Uh, this week, we are once again back looking at those dastardly cyborgs, the Borg, uh, and uh, I am joined by another first-time guest to the podcast, uh, because I never do this on my own, um, a friend of mine who um, I've guested on his Red Dwarf review podcast, Everybody's Dead, Dave. Do check that out if you haven't, uh, but I will let him introduce himself. <laughs> Yeah, hi. Uh, thank you for having me on. I'm Phil Hawkins. And yeah, I'm looking forward to talking about Enterprise. Indeed, yes. Uh, I should have said the, the, uh, the episode that we're looking at this week is the Enterprise episode Regeneration, the one and only appearance of the Borg in the prequel series, uh, which we'll uh, we'll get into that later. But of course, we know there's other sections to deal with first. And uh, I've been keen to get Phil on because, as I say, I've been listening to his Red Dwarf podcast and I know that Star Trek comes up quite a lot. So I know you're a Trekkie now, <laughs> uh, which I, am, I didn't yeah. uh, I didn't really realize when I was first kind of getting to know your YouTube channel, I thought it was mainly Doctor Who and stuff. And then the more I'm seeing your discovery reviews and your track content, I'm like, oh, I can't wait to uh, to discover more about this guy. Then. So, so uh, yeah. Uh, so what it is, and I'll start off with the very first section, uh, and that is the section that I just call healing frequencies open. Healing frequencies open, sir. And uh, that basically just entails a kind of getting to know you where I ask you a few questions that you don't know about in advance, and uh, hopefully it doesn't seem too much like an interrogation, but it's just basically my way of getting, getting to know like what brought everyone to Star Trek and what things about the franchise they like. Um, so the first question I have to ask you is, can you remember what the first episode was you ever saw that made you think, oh, I'm definitely going to want to watch this show, <laughs> and uh, when know, it was I, you saw it? <laughs> I can't, but I would have I like, I been quite young, I think. Um, mm -hmm. I'm, I would have been would have been some point in the 90s i would have been like maybe around six or so maybe seven and it would have been seeing the bbc2 6 30 p.m mm. slots which had uh you know all the sci-fi type shows on it had a star trek it had buffy the vampire slayer it had uh i've seen i remember it had sliders in my day <laughs> sliders yes i remember sliders yes all of those and i was a regular viewer of just that slot so mm -hmm. I kind of caught a lot of stuff that was repeats um, yeah. from from pre seasons that had been on years ago. They they had the original series on at some points. They had uh, the Next Generation, a bit of Deep Space Nine around that time. I think it was it was definitely before Voyager started mm -hmm. because I I distinctly remember Voyager launching on BBC Two and they had a whole Star Trek night. I remember that night as well, and yeah, the culmination of that night was the Voyager pilot. That's so weird. Yeah, we and so Voyager, that when that's that when that launched on BBC Two, that very first episode, Caretaker, that was the time I started watching it. We definitely making sure I watched it week to week, and so Voyager is was the first series of Star Trek I watched every episode of because I've right. been there from the beginning, watched it all the way through. Whereas all of the other ones from before that, the original series, TNG and um and d space nine i'd been just catching like random episodes here and there and really Actually. liked it but i i like didn't have any sort of cohesive like through line of watching it in order or anything until much later 
So the one that really got you kind of hooked into doing it on a regular basis was probably Caretaker then in that case. Yeah, I guess so. And not necessarily, but just because because I particularly like Voyager over anything else. I'd actually say Deep Space Nine is my favourite. But okay. it, just because it, I was there at the beginning, whereas none of the others, I, 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 I just wasn't there when it started. So yeah, it was... Well, it was kind of, uh... It was that night as well, wasn't it? Because it would have been in 95. And I remember that night being quite special because they had like behind the scenes documentaries and like a Star Trek quiz show and stuff. Um, yes. So it was quite a cool like night of uh, entertainment culminating in that Voyager episode. Absolutely. And, yeah. yeah. And they um, and very I can't remember if it was soon after that or just before that. But I started collecting the I don't know if you ever got these, the Star Trek fact files. Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah. I've still got yes, them all up my loft. Um, so oh, I I. I just saw that. I think I saw those in the um, in the news agents issue one, and I was like, "Hey, this looks fun. I'm going to get this." And then I I got every issue of it. So oh wow, that's awesome. Yeah, I was obsessed. I got the first like couple of hundred, and um, since then, like recently, I've been buying the um, Eagle Moss books that are like full schematics of the different ships, the main ships from each series and stuff. And it's yes. just a lot of it's just reprints of that stuff from the fact. Oh, really? Oh, amazing. <laughs> so all the, the schematics and just seeing the floor plans of like yeah, yeah, yeah. different exactly, decks. Yeah. That was always my favorite bit of that magazine. Well, just imagine an entire book of them themed around like, say, the Enterprise or um, the Defiant or whatever. And that's what these books are. But it's got like every sort of schematic, every deck by deck of the ship and everything. So it's pretty awesome. Uh, so the second question then, um, rather a big question, which I always ask my first time uh, guests, is if you had to pick three episodes from everywhere in the franchise oh. that you would say perhaps represented the best or your favourites or that you would show to a first time viewer to try and hook them into Trek, which you might well be doing with your co-host Adam at some point, uh, which three episodes would you pick? Oh, that is a big question. I wish you'd warned me about that one in advance. I could have had a think about it. Um, <laughs> I bet now I'm just going to come up with the really stereotypical ones because they're the ones that are just going to be off the top of my head. But like best of both worlds. Uh, that hasn't been as popular as you would think, but it's it definitely not? been in a few lists. Yeah, I, I, I would have thought that would have been right up there. Um, what other ones are they? Uh, Yesterday's Enterprise. I don't know why I'm going just to TNG. It's not even my favorite of the series. <laughs> uh, <laughs> probably because I I don't I'm no I'm never very good at remembering like episode names. And if you want to describe specifics. the episode? I can probably tell you what it's called. <laughs> um, there's probably some in DS9. Um, what's the one where he has to where he's trying to get the Romulans into the war and he does, uh, does um, something that's, shady. that's come up a few times. That's called In the Pale Moonlight. From that's the one. Six. That's good. Yep, that's good. So <laughs> yeah. maybe that one as well. Yeah, that's definitely come up a few times. All right, awesome, awesome. And uh, I always forget to mention you could have included a movie in there, but I'm sure if you wanted to, you oh would. well, if we if we're including movies, then um, my favorite, especially growing up, was The Voyage Home. Time traveling oh. to the eighties. Oh yeah, with Wales. <laughs> Love that film when I was growing up. That film has so, such a crazy level of popularity on Twitter even now, and I remember it being huge at the time. But um, yeah, everyone on Twitter just refuses to let you refer to it as anything other than Star Trek: The One with the Wheels. Yeah, <laughs> fair. <laughs> awesome, awesome. Um, you've kind of already answered the final question, so because it was just going to be, um, and it's usually the big one for everyone. Like, what would be the one series you would say is your overall favorite out of everyone in the franchise? So definitely, yeah, Deep Space Nine because I, I especially in the nineties, you didn't get that much serialized stuff in the nineties, mm. and 
this was the first series that I really watched that was really he quite heavily serialized, especially in the later series. Mm. Uh, and now it's kind of the usual. I mean, we get it on every Star Trek show now and uh, every show yeah, on well... TV pretty much is serialized. <laughs> Hell, even Doctor Who is doing serialized again now, um, which, you know, for many years it didn't. And yeah, but at the time it was just like, hey, we're getting actual character development, things that happen in one episode you know have repercussions in the next episode whereas with tng and even with voyager you didn't really get that which i really yeah. found strange with voyager because it came after ds9 and i thought mm. they would have learned some of those lessons especially given the situation they were in with voyager being thrown across the universe yeah. i was kind of expecting more repercussions from week to week like if the ship got damaged that to have long-lasting repercussions because they can't just go into ship dock and get it repaired and yeah you'd think i mean there was a lot of i love voyager it's probably my second favorite but it was i think a conscious effort to go back to the next generation style of storytelling uh, yeah but i think i do and... think the the creators wanted to make it more like serialized oh, and because yeah, it wasn't yeah, it um uh the guy oh see i'm not very good behind the scenes people either but the one of the guys then went on to work on uh battlestar galactica was it? Was oh, that, that was one of the. Um, I think you're probably thinking of Ronald Dean, where he was a DS9 uh, writer. Oh, he was a DS9 producer. writer. Oh, okay. Yeah. Maybe yeah. it's something else then. But I'm pretty sure I read somewhere that somebody working on it had like really wanted it to be like, but the studio was like, now nah, we just want we want it to status quo every week because that's what TV is in the 90s. Yeah. Well, you can kind of tell by the format that they wanted that because there was so much rich potential with the Maquis. And there's mm. a couple of moments in that first season, like when it's about training the young sort of Maquis members in Starfleet ways and can they all integrate and stuff. And then after the first season, they're just kind of fine and they get on with it. And it's like, oh, yeah, OK, <laughs> you know. Kind of pointless introducing the Maki to have no conflict, but okay, I guess yeah, yeah. And they did go back to to things having repercussions with Enterprise, right. especially the later seasons. So I think yeah, that's the thing because Enterprise started out being very story of the week. That by the time they hit the third season, I think that's when TV's got to that point where it's like okay, a season is now going to be one story <laughs> so, mm. split into like twenty six bits or whatever in this case. So yeah. Um, I mean, I love it all, but it's as you say, it's uh, it just I think it's Star Trek's always represented the time that it's in. Um, and as I say, if you're watching like Discovery and Picard and stuff now, there's no real standalone episodes. They are this season is this story, and you have to watch it start to finish, or you're going to be a bit lost. So. Yeah, absolutely. There are the occasional episodes where you um, like in Discovery season one, there was the like the Harry Mudd episodes, which were um yeah very kind of separate well well the second one especially was a bit separate and that is actually my favorite episode of that se season so um... oh, awesome we reviewed that last season on the podcast and even oh, nice. then um it seems like it's standalone but then you watch it back and you realize there's quite a lot of movement in the suspicion of Lorca plotline um, yes. bits and pieces away and it's obviously the start of the relationship between ash and michael which is pretty yeah. crucial so even That's then it's kind of like point. Ah, yeah okay <laughs> But uh, yeah, I see what you said. That's probably the most standalone of season one. And that, it's probably why I think a lot of people would say it's their favorite, including me. <laughs> so, yeah. But uh, anyway, <laughs> well, I'll move us on from there then, because that was all the bigger questions and uh, just me trying to get to know a little bit about your Trek nerdiness. So it's weird. we have similar, I think we're of roughly similar ages. So we have similar kind of touchstones like that Star Trek night. And uh, you probably also collected a few of the videotapes back in the day and stuff, I imagine. <laughs> yes, I had a I had Voyager VHSs. And again, I never a bit you know i just didn't have the 
the funds to be able to get the mm. whole series or anything like that so i had really random like i had and they did that annoying thing with the vhs didn't they where they'd if there was a two-parter part one would be on one vhs and oh, part yeah. two would be on another vhs so i even had like yeah. uh what's the episode where they travel back to the 90s and future's um, end future's end so i had future's end part one on vhs but i never had future's end part two on vhs <laughs> Yeah, it was weird because it depended where they fell in the season because it was just two episodes on a tape. But if it just happened that the two part yeah. was, you know, there, yeah, then tough luck. You would <laughs> you just had to have it split that way. But yeah, weird. Well, I think I'll move us into the um, the next section then, uh, which is the section that gives the podcast its name. Uh, just a little bit of extra flavor, and it's a section that I call the hit or miss section. What about my performance? I'm not a drama critic. Uh, as you probably know, if you're a regular listener of the podcast, uh, this is the section where I basically pick five or six things, depending how we do for time, but we probably should be fine because we're just doing a single episode review. Uh, I haven't told Phil about these in advance, so it will be a shock to him. And I'm just basically going to shout them out anywhere in the Trek universe. Could be anything at all. Uh, and ask if Phil thinks they're a hit or a miss. Uh, get his opinions as to why. See if I do. Debate back and forth if we disagree and uh, see how we go from there. So... Uh, right. With all that said, are you uh, are you all set then, Phil? <laughs> all set. Yes. Awesome. Uh, I have no idea why I've written these down. I've I've always said this series so far it's supposed to be a mixture of between the kind of theme, which is the Borg and AI, and then just random things that I've thrown in because I'm curious. Um, but they're all written down in advance. And the first thing on the list for today, uh, you watch Star Trek Discovery, am I right? Yes. Yeah. Uh, the first thing for today then is the Baul. Would you call them a hit or a miss? The Baul. That's the um the sort of predators of the uh of Saru's race, isn't it? Of the Kelpians, that's right, yeah. Yeah. Uh yeah, yeah, hit. Yeah, I think they could do more with them, but um mm. uh they well now in the the time period it's set in, they seem to be working together. It'd be good to see the see how that dynamic has changed since since the twenty third century um yeah because there was one great line about that and i really wish that i'm with you i wish they'd explore that more because saru gets a line about oh i'm now serving on the council with the baul and i'm supposed to trust them and there's still all those age-old prejudices and i'm like that's rich storytelling don't just give me yeah, a line <laughs> exactly and now they and, and i kind of because i i i kind of assumed that saru would be acting as a kind of ambassador role this season before the season started i assumed mm. he would be sort of going between his home planet and the Federation. And we'd mm -hmm. see him occasionally, but no, he's back on the ship. But I do hope they go back there for an episode and, and have to deal with that and that kind of how the dynamic has changed there. And yeah, I think the design of the them was great. They looked mm. they looked good. So I wish we'd seen them a bit better personally, because it's such a crazy outlandish design. And I think the they ramped that too far because they were like, because they're like these black gooey things with claws, let's never show them fully in light and just have them in shadow and stuff. And I'm like, if you're confident enough in the effect, which looks pretty decent, why just, just show them? <laughs> it's, it's fine. Yeah. They were so, trying to yeah. ramp up that sort of horror vibe with them. Weren't yeah. They, a bit. Mm. Um, awesome. Well, yeah, I agree with you. I think they're a hit because like you say, they're such a crazy, unusual design. And for story reasons, I really, I was not expecting the, point of that story to be what it was and spoiler alert ultimately have it revealed that they were the the prey to the kelpians that then turned the tables but got a bit too carried away you know so it was mm. a, a fascinating exploration of that kind of dynamic and uh also they just have really cool design ships and stuff as well <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> awesome um that's all right then but there's not much to disagree about that one so we'll move on uh, the second thing on the list for today is something else from discovery 
uh, and it is the 3189 redesign of the Constitution class ship. Is, uh, are you aware what I mean when I'm on about that? <laughs> you will have seen it. It's the one that looks the most like a traditional saucer drive section nacelles, but the saucer has like a weird crisscross of lines across it. Um, so it's, it's appeared in the background a lot of episodes. Well, I don't know if this is official, but I've seen there's a picture that's come up on Google image search of it that has USS Armstrong, but I don't know if that's yes. official or... That's, uh, yeah, that's the, uh, I think, the main one that you see at first at Starfleet headquarters, but that's definitely yeah. a future Constitution class, yeah. Yeah, okay. So that kind of looks like it's taken a bit of design cue from from Discovery with the multiple sort of rings. Um, yeah, it's we it got it's got like a weird pie crust lattice across the saucer section. Yeah, it seems like yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I don't i I don't mind it. I don't dislike. I don't hate it. Um, yeah. I think I don't think I've seen it. in I mean, like I haven't noticed it while I was watching. Mm. So. It's hard to say because I haven't seen it in action, but this picture looks all right. I'm not. Uh, this seems like a lot of wasted space. <laughs> well, that's but... every every future ship has a bit of that going on, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But other than that, I think it's fine. Yeah, that's fair enough. Um, yeah, we don't really we need really better shots of these future ships because now that Eagle Moss have all of the CGI assets and we've got models and stuff, it would be nice to see them more in the show um, instead of just always seeing Voyager and Booker ship. Oh, sorry, Discovery and Booker ship, and occasionally yes, the Voyager J. Um, but yeah, I personally think it's probably one of my favorites of the future designs because I don't hate the empty space in the saucer section, but it's still not as egregious as Discovery, which is just like no. a big, like you said, just a, a circular bit cut out, like a big donut. Um, and my favorite thing about it is I think it's the only 32nd century class ship that doesn't have detached nacelles. <laughs> They're actually attached to the oh, ship. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, they yes. are. Yeah. <laughs> kudos for not having to do that with everything because i was like okay it's a cool little gimmick and everything but because it's supposed to be i think the evolution of like you said the original enterprise type class design it's kept those uh the basic saucer and drive in the cells and i think it looks really good uh, and i'm looking forward to hopefully getting the eagle moss model at some point when it comes out because uh yeah. i'm liking them so far i've got the voyager j the nog and the discovery a and I'm uh, I'm knocking it on the head until the future Constitution class, which will probably be the Armstrong, comes out. So awesome, cool. Uh, yeah, I said hit, but we want to see more of it. Was probably the fairest way to put that. Yeah. Okay. So the next thing for this week, uh, do you watch um, Star Trek Lower Decks? Before I ask you this, <laughs> I do indeed. Yes. Awesome. Good. 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 Uh, and that is the character then of Ensign Sam Rutherford. Is he a hit or a miss? Uh, yeah, hit. Definitely a hit. Yeah. Awesome. Yes. Yeah. I, like it. I mean, I don't think there's a character on Lower Decks that I would say miss to, to be honest. They're all great. Um, yeah. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> the funniest thing happened actually last week is um, on the hit or miss section of one of the episodes that just went out that I recorded a couple of weeks ago, I asked if the two uh, whale Starfleet officers were a hit or a miss. Um, Lieutenant Kimaloo and Lieutenant Matt from the end of Lower Decks season two. Uh, right. And obviously I post like to Twitter and say, oh, are these characters are hit or miss. Watch the podcast. Um, and I had one person and only one who complained and was like, it's a ridiculous idea that whales are sentient and I don't want to forget it. And lower decks have canonized it. And then Mike <laughs> McMahon, the actual creator, exec producer, Mike McMahon from lower decks yeah, yeah. has commented, commented on my thread. You sound like you need to relax and splash around a little bit. <laughs> ah, like, nice. That is brilliant. <laughs> nice. Absolutely great. That's brilliant. <laughs> There's some really good, anyway. interesting stuff with Rutherford that uh, they've hinted at now with the end of the mm. last season. And what does he know? What was right from his memory and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. So I'm intrigued to see where that goes. 
Definitely. And uh, I think that actor's brilliant, Eugene Cordero, because it wasn't until um, people brought it up that I realized I'd seen him in The Good Place uh, a okay. few times. Um, and he was in Loki recently-ish uh, oh. as well, the Disney Plus show. Um, so he's a really good like comedic actor, like most of the people on that show. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah. I just love the fact that he's so kind of, he's got that kind of sweet innocence and dorkiness, but he's also got the engineer kind of, I want to build this scale model of Deep Space Nine or the interior of the Cerritos or whatever. You know? And he's just got such passion and uh, enthusiasm mm. for everything, like everything yes, especially yeah. anything technical he's like yes i want to go do this yes yeah exactly and it's uh it's just really well played because like you see he never seems grumpy or miserable unless unless the uh, implant thing is malfunctioning <laughs> but uh that gives you some good comedy as well i was initially a bit skeptical about the fact that he had like the the weird what is it vulcan implant that's in his oh, yeah. side of his brain because i was like oh that seems a bit but then when you realize it's kind of just played for jokes and not to overthink it and then like you said they're actually using it for plot ideas of like, is there something that he knows about? Is it somehow showing you future visions? Is there recordings on there? And I was like, okay, if you're going to do something with it, I'm definitely going to give the benefit of the doubt for that then. So I'll carry on to the next thing. And the next thing on the list is something that I had some thoughts about just this week, actually, but uh, coincidentally, I had it written down for the section, and that is holographic communications. <laughs> Very general. Would you say hit or a miss? Oh, well, that depends on which century you're talking about. <laughs> Um, um yes because <laughs> uh, yeah i don't think they i i it was one of the things that when discovery first started uh no. like a lot of people i think it jarred me the wrong way a lot of the stuff in that first episode where they just were like it just it doesn't match up like the mm. klingons and the holographic stuff and the look at the and and, and i it did put me off on a wrong footing on the show a little bit uh, and for as far as i'm said discovery has just constantly gotten better since that point so oh yeah 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 season i mean this happens a lot with most star trek shows to be honest season one yep <laughs> on a lot of them isn't very good and then it gets better um they they kind of get into the the swing of things so i didn't like it in discovery and i don't like it in that century but mm. i do like the idea of it and I, okay. it, like the in discovery now when they're in the whatever they're in 30 second or whatever they are in now <laughs> the, absolutely they should be having holographic communication and i liked it when they introduced it in deep space nine as well towards the end yeah there I, I didn't love the fact that that was clearly that was one episode and it was obviously because they just wanted because it was the cisco and eddington face-off and they just wanted to not have to have them talk via a view screen so it was so transparent, yeah. like, let these actors act off one another kind of thing, you know. But, uh, yeah, but it yeah. felt like a natural development to the technology at the time, which up until yeah, that maybe. point hadn't had that kind of technology, although yeah. now we found out they had it 100 years earlier. But hey. Yeah. Um, they did, but in fairness, they did at least, I mean, it's 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 as subtle as a sledgehammer, but they at least did have that bit in season two when they say the holographic communications aren't really working that well and they shorted out the Enterprise systems and and then you yes. get Pike like, rip out the holograms, we're never using them again, we're just going to use view screens. I was like, all right, yeah, fair absolutely. enough. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad that they, they gave an in-canon reason why they stopped using them. So that abused yeah. me a little bit on that issue. But um, so I'm good. So weirdly, I'm going to say like Miss in specifically mm. in the first season of discovery but hit as a technology as a idea, idea overall you may be on a similar pitch to me because i'm gonna say miss 
overall. Um, but I'm an, of the same opinion as you. Like, it shouldn't have been used pre-original series. That was silly. Um, and I didn't really love the DS9 use because they only did it for, like, one week or a couple of weeks and then never did it again. Um, but that's, you know, not that it was bad at the time, but, you know, commit to it is what I'm yeah. saying. Um, yeah. But, yeah, the thing that bugged me that I noticed this week more than uh, more than anything when I was watching Discovery uh, is that, yes, you're right, it should. It makes absolute sense in the 32nd century to have that kind of communications. But they're still doing that stupid thing where it flickers every two minutes like it's not quite, like, fully there. And I'm like... It's been like a thousand years. I'm sure they would have mastered a way to make smooth holograms. Like I know That's that on a true, but on a visual I, language I, level, yeah, it's like oh, we need to show that you're not really there. But like, come may, on, <laughs> maybe, maybe, but maybe there's an in-universe like have to show that it's not really their reason. Like maybe it's a regulation or something. Yeah, mm. sort of like it. How in the holograms in Red Dwarf, they all have the H to indicate ah. that this is definitely a hologram. You know, so nobody mistakes them. Maybe they. Have put in a rule that it has to flicker, and it's a deliberate flicker, yeah. so that anybody that walks into the room instantly knows oh, yeah. who's a hologram and who's actually there. Right. Okay. I suppose that would make that's, a lot of sense because that's my head cannon for it. Anyway, I was going to say that's that's a pretty good head cannon, especially if you think there's probably a lot more holographic officers and stuff prevalent in that century anyway. So maybe they are like, okay, we need to just have some way to just every now and then remind people that you're not really there, kind of thing or whatever. Mm. But uh, yeah. Okay. Fair enough. But no, it's just, it's one of those things where I don't think Trek's ever really mastered it. And for some reason, I just really, I, I don't think you need it. I think the view screen thing works fine. It worked fine in Wrath of Khan. I mean, Kirk and Khan are never in the same room in that movie, but you never notice it. So, <laughs> but uh, yeah. yeah, anyway, <laughs> that's just my little moan because I, I rarely ever call anything a miss, but I just think that's one of the things where I'm like, I can live without it. I'll carry on to the next thing on the list. The next thing is uh, I'll go with an episode of Deep Space Nine, since it's your favorite. Uh, and I'll say it's the episode Our Man Bashir, Hit or a Miss. Oh, yes. That's the holodeck one, isn't it? Um, it's where it's uh, like, James, James Bond on the Bond. holosuite. <laughs> yeah, hits. Yeah, I like a good James Bond pastiche. And uh, that's fun. And, and Julian's a great character. Yeah. I can't say I would remember details of it specifically mm. but i do remember like liking it and going yeah i like this episode yeah i like that i love it i'll say it i'll say hate i'll get that out the way now but i also love i'm a sucker for whenever they have different contrivances to have them happen because it, it would be kind of boring if it was just and now we're joining you for this james bond adventure and it's all fake but the fact that it was i don't know if you remember it was like a shuttle was crashing and they had to beam them out and their patterns got stuck in the whatever the equivalent transporter pattern buffer thing is. Um, but instead of like reconstituting them properly, they were all just, they, their patterns became used for the holodeck characters. So it was their physical appearance, but the actual holodeck characters, like mind or whatever. Uh, yes. Um, right, yeah. So it gives you the really cool chance for them all to play totally out of type. Uh, and and against what you would necessarily expect to the point that like Cisco was a brilliant like super villain in that episode, you know? Uh, and yeah, I just like, because they did the same with Bride of Chaotica. It would have been boring if it was just, let's live through this old Flash Gordon adventure. But the fact that they had to go with the theatrics and make it seem real to these invading aliens and stuff. It's like, hmm. yes, if you're going to do it, then then be clever about it. You know, <laughs> uh, I'll just do one more for today the, in the hit or miss then. And uh, again, I'll uh, I'll keep it in the realm of DS9 since I know you're a fan. Uh, and I'll go with the character of Tora Zial. Would you say she's a hit or a miss? Um, oh God, what did I think of her? Yes, I liked, I remember liking like what they did with her when she was on the station, when they, mm. when the Cardassians had retaken it. So I can't mm. remember like if I liked the, like a character as a person or not. I can't remember enough about it. 
um but right. i do remember liking the story of you know just that actually quite a lot of that whole cardassian occupation of the station again storyline yeah. where with you know jake being on the station as the kind of in the trenches war reporter on the other side type person um yeah. and odo still being the chief of security and he it, like yeah, yeah. conflict of all of that stuff was really good and her plot line and her and her death as well yeah um that was um that was heartbreaking that was that was a heartbreaking moment i yeah. do remember that yeah so yeah i'm gonna go hit awesome uh, i would say the same i might jog your memory a little bit because i will say she didn't get a lot of play so what you've mentioned is like the end of her story and that's the sort of start first six episodes of series six um but before that i like that like Ducat, when he's trying to find her, is with Kira, and his initial point is like to kill her because of the shame or whatever. And Kira manages to talk him out of it, but says that she'll be going to the station to live there. So Kira kind of takes on a, a weirdly maternal role, which shows her growth to this like half Cardassian, uh, which yeah. I love. And then the fact that she gets into an established romantic relationship with Garak because he's similarly like a Cardassian on this Bajoran station, and they're both outcasts. Um, mm. I think there was a lot of really rich stuff that they played with in that area. And as you say, she was always just a nice an innocent character but naturally you know when they're when you're doing a kind of war story and you have this character that's pure innocence and sweetness the best way to rip uh, the audience's heart out is just have them brutally murdered you know so yeah that was a, a definite uh a weepy moment i think when uh when she was killed by damar and then it absolutely broke to cut at the time and i was like oh too much <laughs> too powerful but uh yeah yeah so is any of that uh, jogging your memory on the, the character? Yeah, yeah, the, the, yeah, a lot of it is, yeah. Well, we, we both say hit then, so that's that's fair enough. I think we've only really uh, only really missed a few of the, the holographic communication things, and the rest of it we're all, uh, all on board with, so that's always good. Uh, right, so what I will do then, I will move us to the next section, uh, which is going to be the review of the episode that we came here for, the Enterprise episode, Regeneration. And uh, I will begin analysis of that episode. Analysis. What I've been doing basically is I'm going to start out with uh, a few fast facts about the episode, just random bits and pieces behind the scenes, because sometimes it's a little bit interesting. This episode is uh, a special case because I don't know if uh, anybody's been noticing the picture that's on uh, your screen that's in my little um, chat bubble here. Um, but this episode uh, guest stars an actress named Bonita Friderishi. Uh, who happens to be the wife of Flox actor John Billingsley. Um, oh. So, uh, yeah, she's a great actress. She was also on Chuck and a lot of other things, but uh, they do an audio commentary on uh, the episode on this Enterprise Series 2 Blu-ray, and it's it's great because it's just a, uh, a kind of couple that have been married for a long time ripping the, the pee out of each other the entire yeah. kind of 45 minutes. Um, he talks about how uh, her, her she used to complain that he was pronouncing her name wrong until he started calling her Bonita Fried and Greasy. <laughs> because it was the closest he could get and stuff. And then uh, talking about how they referred to her, because obviously, spoiler alert, she gets assimilated in the course of the episode, but they said they referred to her as like the baby Borg on set because she was the shortest person ever to be assimilated because she's like five foot three. <laughs> she's supposed was to she, be intimidating. So was she one of the um, the researchers at the beginning? Yes, she's the, yes. the only uh, female Arctic researcher at the start. Yeah. But you, do, uh, you do see her in full Borg makeup, which is she what's on familiar, this. She uh, looks familiar, so I'm, I'm sure I must have seen something with her in at some point. She's one of those, oh, it's her actresses where you'll have seen her in a load of like films and TV shows and character roles, but she's never really the lead. But yeah. if, you got, if you like pulled up her IMDb, be, I guarantee there'd be at least three or four things that you'd say, oh, yeah, I watched that. So I probably yeah. know her from there, you know. <laughs> uh, 
but uh, I just found it a weird coincidence that, well, not coincidence, but you know, a weird thing that she was, uh, she's John Billingsley's wife and she got to appear on Enterprise in at least one episode. Um, she did kind of say that she was really nervous about auditioning, which she did have to do. She said there was no nepotism or whatever. And she said she went into audition and was really nervous. And uh, the show's producers were kind of a little bit offish with her because they might have been like, well, we don't want to show any favoritism or whatever. So she thought she'd mm. really tanked the audition. Um, and she didn't. She actually got the part. So. Very weird seeing her all bogged up in that one scene at the end. Or, <laughs> yeah. Oh, she was a teacher um, in Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Oh, well, there you go. Yeah, there you go. It's probably where I mostly <laughs> recognize her from. Yeah, so there's not really a lot else to say about this episode. Obviously, um, there was some trepidation when it was mentioned that the Borg were coming onto the show. And I think a lot of the behind the scenes uh, production staff and things were like, oh, no, it's not going to make sense. And what are we going to do? It's the Borg. But, you know, it remains to be seen what we think of the episode. But I think it worked out. They said it kind of worked out better than they'd expected. And a lot of them said that they appreciated the predestination paradox thing that they did by the end of the episode. So, hmm. which we'll get to, I'm sure. But yeah, <laughs> they said it was kind of, it was weird because it, it worked really well as a sequel to First Contact, almost better than as a prequel to Next Gen, I guess. And uh, yeah, the, one of the inspirations for the episode, I should have said, because uh, it's kind of uh, very prevalent, especially in the first 10 or 20 minutes, uh, is the movie The Thing or The Thing from Another World. But yeah. like, um, aliens in the arctic and uncovering these things and uh yeah so it, i thought it was quite obvious that's what they were doing was a riff on that at the, at the start um but still cool nonetheless so <laughs> fair enough so what i'll do I'll, I'll go into the kind of scene by scene of the episode then so obviously as i said it starts with uh introducing us to the arctic circle uh as we're doing the kind of the thing homage and uh we see the arctic one uh, it's kind of a spaceship i guess but apparently the design is based on a snowmobile which once you know that, you can't unsee it, <laughs> unfortunately. Um, so the ship goes by and they uncover a Borg drone in the ice. And obviously you get the zoom in and some ominous music and they're, they're already starting this kind of horror type tension. Uh, and I like it. I think it's, it's kind of a, one of those things that rewards fans because it hinges completely on your knowledge of the Borg. Otherwise, this intro makes no sense that it's just dramatically like, this is a reveal, credits. <laughs> but, uh, uh, yeah. So what did you think? Did you think that was effective or no? <laughs> Yeah, well, definitely knowing who the Borg are, it's mm. effective. Um, I think it would have been still maybe not as effective, but if you'd watched it and didn't have a clue who the Borg are, that's mm. still, you're, you know, uncovering a body with, like, bits of cybernetic enhancements stuck on them. That's yeah. still quite creepy, and they definitely look like the yeah. skin well, is all mottled and it's definitely creepy. Yeah. It's like Trip says, isn't he? Oh, a friendly looking chap or whatever. Mm. <laughs> Handsome <laughs> or something like that. But yeah, they don't look great, which is why it's weird later on when uh, some of these dumb Arctic researchers are like, they might not be hostile. Let's just examine them. And I'm like, how stupid are you? You are the typical horror movie type people where you're screaming at the screen. Just die. You deserve it for being so dumb. You know? But uh, Yeah. <laughs> Uh, obviously, they uncover as as we get to the credits, and then after that, they uncover a second Borg drone, uh, and they start examining it. But well, then obviously we get a bit. Uh, I do kind of like that they get into a little bit of information about the Borg. So even if you didn't know who they were, they take the time to explain that the arm is fully integrated, and his eyes been replaced with an eyepiece that lets him see better than people. And um, th these two uh, drones have nothing in common. They're even from two different species, which you'd think would be the moment that you would sound the alarm and the red flag would kind of go off, but apparently it still doesn't bother this one dumb guy. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Uh, and yeah, they mentioned they can't identify the alloy of the, the debris, obviously, and that there's antimatter residue and it's been there for about 100 years. 
which again is one of those moments where if you're a really geeky fan like us, you go, oh, I see what you're doing there. Mm. Um, especially when uh, the Bonita Fradarishi character, um, and I wish I could remember her character's name, but I can't, <laughs> when she says, um, oh, I've scanned the debris and it looks like this ship was a perfect sphere. Uh, it's one of those lines that you're like, oh, now I definitely know what you're referring to. <laughs> yeah, there's lots of really nice, like, little just drops of name drops and things in this episode back to uh first contact the movie definitely and stuff. Yeah. it's great uh, yeah we are going to be reviewing first contact so apologies if you haven't seen it because this episode is very uh explicitly a sequel to that um so yes yeah, suffice to say there's a borg sphere that gets shot down at the start oh, of that movie is it a sequel or <laughs> kind of both it's just, yeah that's the thing that's like the people that were making it said it works really well if you think of it as a sequel to first contact Mm. Um, not not so great if you think of it as a prequel to Next Generation. So you get the one guy that's like, they're clearly repairing themselves, put them on a deep freeze or something. And the other guy's like, nah, nah, we should keep them here and study them. You never know, yeah. this could be great. <laughs> He's basically mm. thinking that he might get some, you know, award out of it, Nobel, the equivalent of Nobel Prize or whatever. Um, and because yeah. he's worried about it, them refreezing them and damaging them, isn't he? So. Yes, yeah, yeah, because that's the he's identified it as like, well, this might be a medical tool that's on its arm, and these nanoprobes might be used to cure diseases or whatever, and as you say, it's very sort of selfishly, oh, well, I don't want to ruin my chance at whatever, but as I say, they even have the line when the second guy says, well, they don't exactly look friendly, which just, uh, you know, it lampshades how dumb this guy's being, but again, I suppose if you're doing the whole horror movie bit, there's always at least one person that's a bit too complacent, so... It's part of the genre, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. um, awesome. I, I did think, uh, speaking of that, that it was quite scary when the one kind of nervous guy got left alone with the two bodies, and they actually played that for the tension. Like there was no music; it was just him, the two, the two guys on the the two drones, sorry, on the stretchers, and he was kind of pouring himself a coffee. And uh, yeah, yeah. Um, what was I going to say? Uh, whilst they were outside, I did actually make a note because it never occurred to me beforehand that they mentioned that they found a warp coil, presumably from the Borg sphere among the debris and it uh only in this watch along was i was like oh yeah because they're gonna have to have a way to get that like arctic one uh earth ship to get to like warp six or whatever at some point yeah. later in the episode and it never occurred to me that they wouldn't have a way to do that until but yes there is a line to cover that so that's fair enough um but yeah obviously going back into the uh whilst they're discovering all this you go back in and the borg is awake and we see the good old uh borg vision blurry thing from their point of view and then the drone sneaking up on the guy which i absolutely love that's like straight out of a horror movie that's a little jump scare that he's looking around wondering and thinking they're still on the table and then the camera just crash zooms in on the borg face just lumbering toward him yeah uh, as i said we don't see anything you don't need to you just know these guys are screwed <laughs> you know yeah they use all the the good tropes of um of kind of a, a zombie kind of movie i guess a kind of horror yeah. movie with jump you know it, it it's got that vibe to it. Yeah, completely, because that's the point, isn't it? Is that, you know, if they touch you, then you become one of them. So it is it is a zombie movie. You know, it's like, oh, you, this guy's lumbering and you've been bitten and now you're screwed. You're one of them mm. forever or whatever. So, yeah, and I think it, it, it works really well, way more so in these opening scenes. But, uh, yeah, there's a very quick scene, which I kind of, I don't love it because it just seems like it's here for arbitrary reasons to fill out time when... Uh, Starfleet uh, headquarters hears about the missing research team, but then they send a team to look for them, and it's like, oh, there's nobody here. Something's gone wrong. And then they communicate this information to Enterprise, and I'm like, we could have just lost that opening scene and had it all in a briefing to, to Archer, because he's telling him this anyway. <laughs> yeah, that's so, true. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but as I say, I chance the episode might have been running short or something, because that does happen sometimes. Um, 
but yeah. So it takes a fair while, but we finally at this point get to see NX01, the uh, the lovely Enterprise. <laughs> and uh, yeah, they talk about how they have discovered, that, <clears throat> excuse me, that the uh, research team they believe have been kidnapped and find that they've actually got the scans about the, the two Borg drones they recovered and uh, everything about them, which again creates a huge continuity problem later. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's a, yeah. I get why. I mean, do you want to talk about that now or do you want to say that? Yeah, so yeah, sure. Because with me later. as well. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's it. I get why maybe like Picard wouldn't have known about them. Because, yeah, okay, Starfleet would have classified this, might have classified this information. So individual captains and stuff might not know about it. But when but there's, but when they sent the information after Q-Who and they, they, the Enterprise mm-hmm. meets the Borg in that episode for the, for the first time um, and sends them back, uh, sends all the information back, that's when somebody who has access to the classified files on this if they were classified should have gone yeah we've we, oh that's that's that race that we never got the name of but yeah that that matches perfectly yeah. we're gonna we're gonna now reveal this because it was hundreds of years ago so there's no reason to keep it classified and yeah and it's kind well, of important <laughs> that's the thing and i mean i understand you probably wouldn't want to panic the general population or whatever um, and i'm sure i'll get into it more at the end but it also makes starfleet look really incompetent because archer even says oh, we've done nothing but postpone the invasion for 200 years. At which point you would think it's like, right, take all this information, send it to Starfleet headquarters, put a little timer on it to be opened in 200 years when we know they're coming. Don't just brush it under the carpet like, ah, it's not our problem. We're going to be dead by then. (laughs) Yeah, so even if you didn't give Captain Specific, you know, like, this should be something like, if anybody, if any reports come in with, like, describing a race that is similar to this, a yeah. red like the computer should go excuse me you need to look at these files and now and now prepare well i mean they, but... they do it with the uh, the omega directive in voyager just do something like that where if, if one of your ships scans anything that looks remotely like borg technology which you have a scan of then all the systems shut down and only the captain or whoever's in command is like now you get to know about this huge threat we're about to face you know yeah um, Anyway, but that's that's a nerdy deep dive, and it's one of the things I think that was always going to be inherently a problem when you're dealing with a prequel. And Enterprise was terrible for it in their first couple of years because they encounter Ferengi as well, who don't conveniently don't name themselves because they're not supposed to have encountered them yet. And it's just so silly at that point. You yeah, know? Um, it is. They, they the one time they did it well, I think, was with the Romulans. Um, yes. Yeah. But but every other time, it's kind of like where you've seen them. Yeah. So, well, the Romulan first contact is supposed to be around this time anyway, so that kind of fits in canon. But yeah. the fact that, like, and, I said, and they kept the... it audio only, like, yeah, yeah, they yeah. had described, yes, exactly, because yeah, which is important so that they don't know that they look like like Vulcans, Vulcans of course, yeah. And I like that, like I said, series four doing that by showing the audience the Romulans, but then not having the characters ever seeing that that's what mm. they look like, but having Archer learn about you know, there's such a thing as the Romulan Star Empire and they have cloaking devices and. You know everything except what they look like so yeah it worked better in those latter seasons but like i say it got silly when it was like well you've met the ferengi next gen was like we've never seen what these creatures look like before they could be terrifying for all we know it's like no don't be daft <laughs> and then like you say it, it was controversial as anything even though they've complained uh some, some of the producers have kind of counter complained about the fact that the borg uh, omitted their name in their standard greeting because every other time their greeting would be we are the borg you will be assimilated 
uh, and they yeah. just jump straight in with you'll be assimilated and don't name themselves, which is so egregious when that happens mm. in the episode that it's like, come on, <laughs> you know. But um, one of the producers countered that, as I said, and says, well, at no point during Q, who are the best of both worlds, do they announce their name either? And I was like, oh, yeah, I suppose technically they don't really when you think about it, do they? Right. I do like as, as well talking about like references to other things and nerdy stuff when Flux and Lieutenant uh, Reed are discussing the Borg. Uh, and they're talking about, you know, he, I prefer my tech to stay outside of my skin. And then the doctor gets into like, well, I, if you had a synthetic heart, would that be a problem if you needed that replacing? And there was this species called the Binars that were quite fantastic and replaced their frontal lobes with technology. And uh, it was quite amazing. And I was like, Binars, I recognize them. <laughs> <laughs> that name from that one episode of Next Gen, and they would never see it again. Um, <laughs> did that jog your memory at all? Or was that a name that just meant nothing to you? <laughs> It, it kind of vaguely sounded familiar, but I couldn't place it. So, uh, Speaking again of, of nerdy kind of Star Trek references, uh, we hear that Enterprise has picked up a distress call from a Tarkalian freighter. Uh, this is the first and only appearance of the Tarkalians who are mentioned frequently from like next gen, I think, onwards. Um, they come up all the time, and yet they've only ever been seen this once, which is a weird thing to, uh, to note. Yeah. Um, I do remember there's a lot of references to like Tarkalian tea and things like that in some of the earlier seasons, um, or I guess chronologically later ones, but you know, um, yeah. I also love that when Arctic One appears and it's kind of borgified, uh, it's been mm. partly assimilated. You can see that they are actually building the ship up into a cube, <laughs> which I love. I that suppose, touch. yeah, I didn't think about that. It's got <laughs> definitely got more blocky, hasn't it? Um, well, the back still part very... yeah, is definitely there, but yeah. yeah. I think so anyway. And plus, um, I also like the touch that when Enterprise arrives and they're cutting into the Tarkalian freighter, they're cutting it in a circle the same way they did the first time they encountered the Enterprise D uh, when they cut out like a section of the ship and killed 19 people or whatever. I was yeah. like, oh, that is a really uh, old school touch that I really appreciated, you know? Um, yeah, let me see. So they mentioned, yeah, the Borg have upgraded the weapons as well as the uh, propulsion on the Arctic One transport. Uh, there's nine life signs, but the readings are erratic, which is worrying. Uh, but they do manage to drive them off, which is kind of convenient, I guess. Because <laughs> I was like, at this point, are the sort of borgified Arctic team and couple of drones not strong enough to take them on? It seems like they probably would be. Um, but again, the episode, I guess, couldn't really happen if they were to just stick around and fight there and then. So I don't know where they're running yeah. off to, but <laughs> yeah. Well, they, um, they're they luring them, aren't they, to them with... Uh... Because he says earlier that later on that, oh, they've lured us here um, like it's a trap. So maybe they just wanted to get in them. Maybe they wanted to get their people that are currently. Oh, that's right. Being... Well, you've just, yeah, you've, that, that makes sense. Because they've obviously at this point already assimilated the Tarkalians. And yeah, they and they haven't I, fully yeah. turned yet. So they're, yeah. they're waiting for them to turn and sabotage the inside of the ship but as so. you say they know if they if they did off then enterprise will rescue the dark aliens and that'll be a sly way to get them on board enterprise and sabotage that that makes sense yeah. now i'm glad you mentioned that because that that quantifies that a lot better than just like why are they running away i don't get it but uh, yeah okay fair enough i don't get that's the one thing talking about like kind of uh, logical issues and stuff i don't really understand how this assimilation of the dark aliens is so damn slow um because i just associated with that moment in like first contact when the the, the 
Picard's like, don't let them touch you. It'll be instant like death or whatever. And that one security guy gets injected with the probes in his neck and is immediately turning and Picard just shoots him there and then. I'm like, why is it taking like hours for these guys to get fully My turned? My head kind of, I think it's supported by this episode, is that different species will be assimilated at different rates. It's like you see Phlox, uh, has mm. it takes ages for him, even longer. And yeah. And he's able to resist. In the end, he's able to be cured from it, which no other species has. Other, well, well, okay, Picard has, but um, it, it hasn't. Oh, it's, not, <laughs> it's not an easy thing to do, uh, and most species wouldn't be able to do that. So it seems to be unique to um, Delo- Delo- Denovians. That's what he's called. Denobulans, yeah, Denobulans yeah, yeah. Denobil- De- or Denobulan? Oh, whatever. Denobulan, Denobulan. Uh, yeah. Uh, so, <laughs> so it seems to be unique to them. So I think maybe their species, uh, this species, are just they just take a little longer than humans to assimilate. Yeah, that's fair enough. And as I'm thinking on it, I guess I could headcanon it that these are the first of this species that the Borg have assimilated, so they would get better, you know, the more of them that they do. And by the time yeah. the first contact, they assimilated probably hundreds of humans. So it was like, well, we now know how to instantly kind of get... Because even Picard took quite a long time when you think about it to get transformed into Locutus. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's fair enough. You're talking me around on some things here that I had issue with, so that's fair. Um, yeah, uh, Flox, I think, uh, again... Falling into the dumb horror movie character trope when he's like, I, I don't think these Tarkalians who are clearly, you know, their skin's going zombie-like and metallic uh, technologies growing out of them. I don't think they're a threat, Captain. I'm sure it'll be fine. It's like, <laughs> dude, come on. <laughs> I mean, I know you're a doctor and everything, but at least put them in a security room or something. <laughs> or just leave them lying there. Um and there is the, the the security guy is pretty useless that they leave oh, yeah. with him because entirely yeah. <laughs> uh, is it when they attack initially he comes over to sort of <laughs> but he doesn't like just shoot them he's like comes over like looking what like, just shoot them man shoot them. yeah exactly <laughs> but they've got no security because even when Flox is like a, a good way towards assimilation. Hoshi just walks in, like, oh, okay, I've got a weapon on me, but I'm just walking, chatting politely away to you. Do you want me to feed your animals? I was like, stay out of the freaking room, Hoshi. Are you crazy? <laughs> you couldn't pay me to go in that room. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Um, yeah, the other thing I didn't love was this whole thing about um, Archer looks through the records and finds that Zephram Cochrane did actually describe the Borg. Uh couple of issues I have with that. First of all, he didn't actually ever see them. So how he would know that, I don't know. Um, and secondly, commit to it, man. Don't just like tell people, like, be warned, these people are coming. And then when you get embarrassed, go, oh, I was just drunk. Sorry. <laughs> I, I retract my statement. Like, that seemed like a silly thing to have to have him say that, but then not say it. Um, yeah. See, in my fight. mind, he was, I, I know he didn't say this, but uh, I am assuming he was drunk when he said that. Um, and I know, I know it's implied that he kind of cleans himself up after first contact a bit, but I still think he's probably he probably still liked a bit of a drink. And um, oh yeah, he probably didn't like he probably like thought, oh, I can't talk about the future. So when he's in, oh. like compromentous and is like absolutely like sober, he won't talk about it. But then he got drunk one time or a couple of times at an event when he was giving a speech and it, it <laughs> let it slip. And afterwards, he thought, I shouldn't have said that. I'll I'll retract that. <laughs> Yeah, because I shouldn't let people know because of temporal prime directive and whatever. Yeah. Okay, fair enough, fair enough. Um, I just think, yeah, writing-wise, it was weird that they were like, he knew about them, but then he didn't. It's like, what? 
Okay, it was just it was an excuse to get Zach Zephyr and Cochrane's name in there, wasn't it? As a well, yeah, to point out again, egg. it's the first contact because well, they, they basically described the plot of first contact because they say, oh, a bunch of cybernetic creatures tried to take over the whole Earth, and they were stopped by a bunch of humans also from the future. Conveniently, never mentioning the name of the ship they came on because that would perhaps be a step too far. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That would have been so cool to see, though, just Archer getting confused. Like, he said they were stopped by a bunch of time travelers from a starship called Enterprise. Are we about to do this? What's going on here? <laughs> the Tarkalians wake up and obviously attack Phlox. Um, didn't think it was particularly great CGI when they inject him with the nanoprobes. I thought that was a bit of a TV budget situation going on there. Um, yeah, yeah. Early yeah. 2000s C TV oh. CGI. Definitely, yeah. And I got really confused just how exactly kind of connection to the collective works here because Flux explicitly hears them quite a few times, but doesn't seem fully kind of assimilated in the way that we see of like Picard and Tuvok or whatever else. When it's like, well, now you're gone, you're fully. So I was like, eh? Because <laughs> maybe it's me, but I've always, I've never been comfortable with never having an explanation of like the collective consciousness. I always thought it was one particular device that. Once it connects to you, it attaches your brain on some level. Maybe even it's like a psychic thing. And then that's it. You're gone. You're fully connected. But this kind of like half and half, oh, I can hear them, but only every now and then. I'm like, what does this even mean? <laughs> I kind of just viewed it as him gradual transition. So into this, into the Borg. So he's sort of starting to hear it like he was a Borg. I, I can't, I, it worked narratively, I think. Um, so I, it didn't bother me. Okay. It doesn't really work for me because I think it starts getting into too many areas of like, it's not a technological thing. It's like a psychic connection. That, like, yeah, well, that when he said it's yeah. a, like a psychic connection, that did make me think, oh, is it? Though? I thought it was just like they connected on a frequency and stuff. So yeah. I just assumed that that had started to connect, but hadn't wasn't fully connected. Yeah, because it introduces a weird other element to them as a species when it's like, okay, you're, you know, you're not turning these people into sort of cyborgs, half man and half machine. But then you're also psychically linking them. It's like it's a hat on a hat at that point, really, isn't it? But yeah, yeah. anyway. I do think, oh yeah, sorry. Just one last thing. This is such a nerdy deep dive, but I really did get kind of excited here in Flock School. It's crucial that you don't let them touch you, because I was like, first contact. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> it's it's such a common line of dialogue, but it's just always it's so sticks in my brain of Picard, like regroup on Dex 15, don't let them touch you. <laughs> I was like, that's got to have been deliberate, hasn't it, really? Um, yeah. I, I thought the uh, the slightly assimilated kind of Borgified Tarkalians were actually really creepy. I don't know if it's the combination yeah. of, like, Borg and makeup, but, it was yeah, they were quite freaky, though. Yeah, definitely. And they they look more like your traditional zombies in a way as well because mm. it looks like their skin's, you know, falling off as they were, and that's where yeah. the machines are coming through and stuff. So, yeah, that was um, that was good. Good makeup. That's awesome. And uh, yet, while I'm praising it, I think the action was really good as the security officers are kind of chasing them through Enterprise, uh, trying to get to them and stuff. Um, didn't love the moment that was kind of disengage your brain when they go to assimilate the inner workings of Enterprise and a bunch of Borg technology just vanishes or, or just, sorry, appears out of thin air. Oh, yeah, was <laughs> that was... I, I had to actually rewind that and check that I hadn't missed something because, like, I blinked and suddenly there was, like, components that weren't there a second ago and they yeah. just like and they did literally did just sort of materialize it it yeah. was very strange it seems like it was perhaps an unfinished special effect because it would make sense if it was like the, suddenly the lights all turn green and then like other bits grow out of other bits and it becomes 
but the, the way that it was done was just very much we stick our needles in the systems and then in, in, an entirely new thing just materializes out of nowhere yeah. which is like uh, very odd um yeah, there we go so then obviously fire the phase pistols at the borg uh which works a couple of times but then they adapt their shields as we know they are quite often gonna do uh, and the security officers have to fall back uh, and that's when archer decides that uh ultimately his his last uh last course of action is just to flush them into space through the airlock uh which personally i'm not sure if it's a deliberate reference to voyager or not but i do know that's how I think it's in Scorpion Part 2, how Janeway got rid of a load of Borg, apart from Seven of Nine, who just apparently you know, grabbed onto something on the way and didn't get flushed out. But Yeah, well, I, I, I did like this whole section in terms of what it... Because uh, it, there's not that much character stuff for our mm. regulars in this episode. It's kind of all about the plot, and there's yes. not that much character stuff. But this was one of the few character moments in there for archer because he has this moment where he has to make a choice it goes against his mm -hmm. morality because he he wants to save these people he he doesn't want to give up on them um and think they can't be cured but his ship is they're going to destroy his ship so he has to make the tough call when he really doesn't want to so it's a nice moment for him i think i agree and i'm I've, I've mentioned that like throughout my review but i'll just get into it now and say that i agree i like that i've even made a note i like that they actually do have a moment where archer it's not just like they're doing it like evacuate them out of the airlock or whatever he does actually think about it and he does kind of he looks tortured to the point that even to paul says you had no choice and they don't gloss over it um, and then you get that lovely scene later when him and Paul are in the mess hall and she inquires, like, are you actually going to try to rescue these 29 life forms or whatever that we've detected? Are you going to rescue the um, Arctic research team? And Archer's like, I'm not just going to leave people to die. We don't leave people behind kind of thing uh, until he ultimately has to kind of go over there and see, yeah, there's nobody we can help at this point. With, yeah. And, she, um, and, and Paul being the logic, you know, thinking logically mm -hmm. and everything like Vulcan knows that they need to destroy the ship because they're they're gone uh those people are gone already you can't save them we need to destroy it to save other people uh you know needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few uh yeah. so <laughs> uh so that was another nice yeah that that scene in the mess hall was another nice scene um it is it's another, just, as you say a character thing isn't it so. yeah <laughs> it's just a shame we that those are kind of really the only slightly maybe with flocks as well um well i was just gonna say the next scene i think is really good as even though it logically it makes no sense the scene between flocks and hoshi that immediately follows is nice in terms of showing their characters and that she's kind of it really it was even though it's kind of silly it was kind of an emotional moment when she's like look you've looked after me more times than i can count so that's why i'm here to care yeah. for you um and but and i did make a point like because of the slow assimilation it does just look like he's got assimilation flu <laughs> it's like his his face is just slightly drained and he's sweating a bit and i was like all right come on <laughs> at this point there'd be a little bit more going on would there not but anyway um yeah i do like that Hoshi still returns his kindness and feeds his animals and and he he himself is the one that's like look don't underestimate these nanoprobes and if i eat then my metabolism's gonna speed up and they're gonna do the same and then so yeah. I can't even do that, you know. Um, yeah, and I think uh, on a thematic level, I did think I, I've extremely noticed in this scene that it looks like he's got vampire bites on his neck. And I was like, yeah. is that a deliberate thing? Because <laughs> yeah. it is very vampire movie, isn't it? Like, oh, he's bit you and uh, you don't immediately turn, but you've got that night when you're kind of sweating and you're craving blood and whatever. And I was like, okay, you're playing with all the horror tropes a little bit here, but okay. Um, 
the next scene, this this was my least favourite line of the episode, which uh, I, I won't get into at the end, but I'll just say it here. Um, when Reed talks about, like, oh, once they'd adapted to our weapons, it was silly, we might as well have been firing holographic bullets. I was like, okay, that's a reference too far. That's just really shoehorned in at this point. We've all seen First Contact. We know what you're referencing. It's not something mm-hmm. that would come up in polite conversation, is it really? Um, yeah. As I said, the, the scene we've already talked about to Paul, are you going to try to to rescue these things? They're all infected. And uh, she's the one in the right, but Archer will not declare them a lost cause. Uh, and I like that for once the audience is on the side of the Vulcans, which hasn't been the case for like a year and a half, because we know what the Borg are like. So we are like, yep, to Paul is correct. Don't give them an inch, just absolutely yeah. destroy them and whatever. So I thought that was an interesting dynamic in terms of the show enterprise as well. Yeah, definitely. Awesome. <laughs> uh, when they, well, I'll, I'll talk a little bit about this later. But when they go to um, explain that Flocks might have a cure with the using radiation to uh, to kill off the nanoprobes, mentions that it's using Omicron particles, which I was like, yikes! <laughs> that uh, hasn't aged well, has it? <laughs> no, I didn't clock that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but the thing that bugs me about this is that. In essence, there's been a cure for assimilation this entire time. Uh, yes, which... but we only see it work on his species. So that's my headcanon. It, this particular, <laughs> it just works on Denoblins and it doesn't work on other species. That's my, okay. my theory. I guess yeah. I can forgive that, but I still would have liked at least some kind of, I would have preferred them to make it more explicit. That I don't know how they would do it, but just say sort of, Oh, my unique physiology would mean that I can kill them with radiation. Well, they had mentioned something about his unique physiology fighting it off earlier on, yeah. hadn't they? And and uh, he said something like, "Oh, it's um, uh, yeah, my unique Denobian ph- physiology is proving harder for them to assimilate, but mm. they'll get there eventually." Um, yeah. So I'm guess I I kind of just put two and two together and went, "Oh, well, that helped with the cure, and it wouldn't." help with humans but again i'm just yeah. head cannoning that but yeah and i think i think i used to think the same but then watching it now i'm like i would prefer there to be at least an explicit mention of and again i don't know how you'd do it because it might seem shoehorned in but kind of like i found a solution that it looks like it might well work but i doubt this would work for anyone other than a denobulan you know <laughs> and then at least say oh, okay fair enough now i know what you're talking about kind of thing um but yeah i did like at least uh, talking about kind of horror cliches and stuff i did like that they do that moment of uh, him saying if it doesn't work please kill me i don't want to become one of them creatures <laughs> and i was like mm. yeah that's that moment in every zombie movie isn't it really the testing of the face pistols is really cool but it's another of the issues i have with you having a prequel is that like these things are not even as advanced as phasers and yet we're supposed to believe they're taking out borg <laughs> yeah <laughs> Um, which I guess, yeah, they might not have adapted to them, but they're still Borg from like a century or two ahead of this technology. You know, then having said that, if, you know, Tommy Gun Bullets worked in First Contact, maybe it's a similar thing. It's so primitive that they can't adapt to it easily or... Not just Tommy Gun Bullets, holographic Tommy Gun Bullets. <laughs> but with the safeties off. Yeah, that's exactly. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Uh, I think it's really cool when they go on to Arctic 1 and it's been totally assimilated, and you get that cool Borg ship look and the glow, glowing green bits and everything. And it's like, oh, this is this is fantastic. It's really cool. Um, but then, like I said, the healing, they're healing us audio only, which is very convenient to start with, and then starting with just, you will be assimilated, resistance is futile, no, we are the Borg, because we can't know if that's what they're called yet. 
sure. Mm. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I do think throughout here, I, I will make a quick mention here. I like, I think the music works really well. It's for building tension. Uh, there's a few moments of like shaky camera and stuff as weaponry hits and things, and as we're uh, running through and we're kind of keeping up the pace, that I think works really well and hopefully stops you from kind of stopping and thinking too much about these things. Um, yeah, that the other thing again. This is going to sound really nitpicky, and uh, again, I've said it a lot of times, but they beam over to Arctic One, which has now been simulated. This is the point where they beam over, um, and they don't have any issue using the transporter, which they've spent like again a year and a half seeing. Like, oh, you wouldn't find me going through that thing. And now they're just <laughs> casually using it because they've got no choice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's very uh, story convenient. And it's the same guy. It's, it's Reed who in the pilot was like, you won't find me scrambling my molecules in here. He's like, no, nah, I'll just jump on it. Fair enough. Come <laughs> like, over it now. Yeah. Um, yeah. As I say, this is, I got a bit ahead of myself, but this is where they arrive on what looks like basically a Borg ship. And they're doing that cool thing of they ignore them because they're regenerating and just getting on with their stuff. And they're not really a threat just yet. Yeah. Um, lots of echoes of Q who and some of those Voyager episodes as well here when they're just walk, sort of walking through the corridors and things and, Definitely. Um, I truly found it quite disturbing, like I said, when you see the Bonita uh, Friday character and she's fully assimilated walking down there. Not just because we've not really seen a Borg that short before, but just because she looks kind of, because we'd seen her as a human before, recognizably, that seeing her fully kind of assimilated like that, I was like, that is chilling. I don't know why. It's just mm. really like, ooh. Uh, yeah, they point out these these things aren't human anymore. And then they start swarming because uh, the Enterprise crew keep firing at them and stuff. And they're boarding Enterprise. This was kind of where I wasn't really able to make notes because it's quite kinetic and it's just all kind of action, action, action. Uh, but you do get the Borg like tackling Reed uh, and Archer killing it by just pulling one of the wires out. Yeah, <laughs> that, I mean, that did strike me as kind of like, well, has it been that easy the whole time? We just pull oh, the wires out. <laughs> they've done that before, in fairness. If you go back and watch... Um, yeah, in like next okay. gen and Voyager. I, I assume that particular Borg then manages to, you know, the nanos will nanobots will repair that pretty quickly for, i'm imagining for whatever reason they refer to it as being deactivated as if that's like some kind of on mm. on off switch yeah it's a <laughs> bit of a flaw there isn't it in design of the borg you think they would um hide their important wiring inside <laughs> the casing of their stuff even uh, a species as advanced as the borg still just basically has an on off socket <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I'd love to think that there's somewhere there's like an IT department on a ball cube with just a huge plug. <laughs> the ship's not working. Turn it off and on again. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, we see uh, the Enterprise is getting really hammered at this point. Uh, there's the whole plating's completely gone because obviously we don't have shields, and they start cutting into the hole in that circular pattern again. Uh, but then it seems that, and again, I don't know when this happened because it was all quite frantic. But they find out that the Archer and Reed planted charges on the ship. Uh, yeah, and they blow them up, and I was like, "Was this ever addressed as being the plan?" Because I don't remember them mentioning this. It's just like they beam back aboard and go, "Now blow up the charges we left." And I was like, "When was that?" <laughs> but, well, I uh, saw them yeah. plant the charges. I saw them plant it, yeah. but I didn't hear them discuss it beforehand. Ah, oh, fair enough. I mean, I guess you've got to come up with a way to defeat the Borg, so that's fair enough. Um, again, this scene really bugged me, and it's it feels like I'm being too negative towards the episode, which I do kind of like, but. Um, the idea that the charges go off and all of the Borg who have already invaded Enterprise beam back to their ship. Yes, I was, like, was going to uh, say this what? as well. It's like because <laughs> I did, I wrote down on my notes. Why have the ones that boarded beamed back? What what happened there? What why did <laughs> their their ship 
having an explosion make them beam back. I don't understand. Yeah, because to my logic, surely the fact that they know they've lost their ship would make them more likely to kind of dig yeah. their heels into Enterprise. And, and they way. want to take over that. Yeah, yeah. It's a bit <laughs> of a strange... Yeah, again, I suppose you could headcanon it as like they wondered what was going on and beam back to try and repair it. But even then, you'd just think that's still stupid, especially just leave one or two on Enterprise as a kind of a, a failsafe, I guess, just in case. But yeah, again, we have to have a convenient way to just have them all blown up and destroyed. So yeah. And just blow up the whole ship with those explosives that they did then have to fire on it as well. Um, yeah. I was I was thinking, oh, that's quite easy. And then there was like, oh, no, there's, there's still more. They've still got to actually do stuff um to finish sort of finish them off yeah i hadn't noticed that but i'm looking at my notes that explains it is that they do actually say um because they've all been back and they're kind of plugged into the ship that it starts regenerating even after the charges have blown up yes uh, and that's when when archer has kind of accepted there's nobody there we can save and he just says i'll oh, screw it just target the warp core and just literally blows the ship up before it can get any further which again is good from the character thing of like okay you've learned you know, there's no no need for pussyfooting about just blow the crap out of these guys or whatever. Um, and yeah, the scene just ultimately ends with, like I said, uh, Archer recognizing what he had to do and to Paul giving him a little nod. And then Archer saying, I'm going to go and call the Admiral, to which I've said, and tell him to lose any report within the next 200 years because we're not supposed to know. <laughs> uh, yeah, so really this is the end of the episode. We get the closing kind of captain's log. Flox is on the mend, uh, you know, which, okay, whether you like that plot or not, at least he's back to normal. But then, like I said, referencing the con collective as some form of telepathy. Uh, <laughs> I say, I've got no idea at this point what it's supposed to be, but... Okay, I'll just roll with it, because at least it gives you the fact that he's the one that says, I, I definitely got a, an impression they were trying to send a subspace message, and the coordinates are at the Delta Quadrant, which, as we know, Borg Homeworld, that's why Voyager has a lot of Borg in them. Um, yeah, and the first time, apparently, um, I, I spotted this as a fact on the IMDb trivia section, uh, yeah. that it's the first time that other quadrants are indeed mentioned, and in fact, the first mention of the Delta Quadrant in Enterprise. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, well, I mean, chronologically, definitely would be, but um, yeah, absolutely is. And uh, as you say, I remember the first time I saw this, I was so super excited at how clever it is that they're like, it sounds like we've only postponed the invasion until the 24th century. And it forms like what should be a perfect grandfather paradox with Q Who. But the more you think about it, the less it makes any kind of sense. So it's a great kind of like, oh, awesome, great ending of the episode leading you to what you already know is coming and and like I said, the more you sit and think, it's like, well, that doesn't really make a ton of sense, does it? Well, my, I've, I mean, the, the kind of explanation for it I've heard is that, you know, when they encounter them in Q-Who, they are already on their way to yeah. the uh, to the Alpha Quadrant and to Earth because of, because of that. And they just pick up a bit more information from the Enterprise there that yeah. gives them a bit I'm more intel. I would be fine with that, but that kind of gets shot to pieces by voyager when it turns out they've assimilated the raven already and i was like ah okay <laughs> that's that's um uh that that's seven and nine ship isn't it yeah yeah yeah, yeah. well um, this this kind of explains the because that itself was a, a a continuity error in voyager at the time yeah, because the, the, they, they the had apparently around. set off to research the borg before yeah. the federation knew the borg existed but this exactly. kind of explains it in a way because okay. they maybe they didn't set off to maybe they found out the name of the book on their travels and during their research so they actually set off to investigate maybe they had access to this classified information 
that was acquired in this and they set off to research that and to try and down that species and along the way they found out that they were called the i love that etc et <laughs> now in my head canon there's like a comic booky type idea that her parents were like deep cover spies the federation were like you're the only ones that can know and you have to go and find this cybernetic yes. species and come up with a weakness I'm like, we thought they were just normal human researchers who put their kid in danger nah they were super spies <laughs> yeah <Cool. laughs> Awesome, awesome. Well, uh, there we go. So, as I said, that kind of concludes the episode. Did you have any last thoughts or anything I might have glossed over that uh, you wanted to mention? No, I just thought it was a. It's as an episode, it's a great episode. It has a, um, a real great tone and vibe to it. I think um, it's mm. it's an exciting episode. The one thing that I I briefly mentioned, like I think there wasn't much for the characters this episode. Our regular characters in terms of character dynamics and growth, but there the, there wasn't none. You had that mm. nice bit between Archer and Paul and, and that whole his moral dilemma, and you had the flock stuff. But it, maybe there could have just been a bit more. But then you don't need that every episode, I suppose. And it was a good sort of horror vibe to it. And I liked it overall. It does, there's trying to headcanon all the bits you need to headcanon <laughs> in to yeah. make it work with the wider continuity is a bit of a annoyance. But yeah i can let i can i can let that go for a good story it's fair enough and it is well, a good story a, i'll get into a bit more uh a bit more depth about what you were because i think it's kind of feeding into the next uh things that i'm going to bring up so the first thing i'll ask you as i said which i shamelessly ripped off from your red dwarf podcast <laughs> just for a bit of extra spice is um if you had to name a favorite character favorite moment of the episode and a favorite line what would they be oh um so favorite character i will go with I'll go with Archer. Um, he get probably because he's one of the two people that actually has anything really to his character this time. Yeah. Um, favorite line? Hmm. Oh, I, I can't think of any of the lines. Yeah, it feels like there it. should be. And then when you think you're like, are there any really great lines? They're all yeah. kind of cheesy when you're thinking on them. Aren't you? <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't think I can think of one. Maybe you'll say one in a minute and I'll be like, yeah, that. Oh, I doubt it. <laughs> but um, um, and what was the other question? Oh, just favorite moment, like uh, scene or favorite moment. Or... Uh, the whole of the opening was actually really, I thought, was really well shot and okay, set up the nice kind of, like you say, it was sort of an homage to the thing. Um, mm. and I like the tone of that and everything. So I'm going to go with the opening. That's fair enough. I swear I already had this written down because it's going to seem like I've just been copying off you. Because <laughs> uh, my favorite character I said was Archer because he's the one that displays the most humanity without being completely stupid. Um, yep. Like when he actually learns that, you know, there's not much we can do, he, he does take the decisive action. So I like that. Um, my favorite moment was also the initial horror scenes in the Arctic base uh, that actually play it for that kind of uh, thing, ripoff type thing. Specifically, if I had to choose one, uh, the moment when, like I said, the, you're not sure where the bog are, and then one of them just lumbers up on the guy straight at camera is a really cool moment. Um, my favorite line of the episode, and it's purely just for geek reasons and because that's the only line that ever sticks in my head, is just when um, Rooney, that's the name of Bonita's character. Why is that coming to my head now? Yes, the character Rooney at the start when she just goes, uh, oh, I think this ship was a perfect sphere. Because I was like, that line means nothing to just a casual viewer, but if you've seen First Contact and you know the bog, it's like, oh! DiCaprio mm. meme. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that would be mine. Um, awesome. 
so any any other thoughts that any any lines spring to mind that you wanted to use? No, or? no, not particularly. No. no. I like all the references back to first contact. So yeah, yeah. all of those are nice. Fair enough. The next section is a section that is kind of my little middle finger towards people that are like, oh, the treks have all moved too far away from Gene's vision. Um, because I think there's always a bit of that in every trek if you if you actually pay attention. Um, and we've talked about a lot of the things that I've written for this section anyway, um, but it's a section that I call Gene's vision. <clears throat> what that basically means is if you have to pick out moments that you think represent the kind of the humanist and the kind of... Um, moral ideology of Star Trek as envisaged or as believed to be envisaged by Gene uh, Roddenberry, what would you say would be some of the things in this episode that would fit into that? Uh, well, the, the, you've got that moral conundrum aspect with Archer's decision, so mm -hmm. it's a bit repetitive, but uh, I guess that bit where he's showing yeah. that he he doesn't want to, and it's contrasted with the sort of Vulcan way of, of doing it and thinking very um emotionless and about it and logically you know he wants to try and save the people which isn't a very honorable thing to do but then mm -hmm. it's the practical situation of like he's forced into having to not that feels like a very star trek um star trek dilemma to be put into yeah i said the same thing like i said the fact that um that archer isn't just shoot first ask questions later but like i mentioned in my kind of um summary thing there He's also not stupid, so when he learns that it's a hopeless cause, it's not like, no, we must keep trying and be foolish and get everyone assimilated. So, yeah, I think uh, a little bit of both there. Anything else uh, spring to mind? No, no, not particularly. That was the main one, I think. That's fair enough. I said a couple of other things I noted, and I said, um, even though it's stupid, I do think it's very much that kind of idea that we don't judge by appearances. So even though the board clearly look like terrifying, there's a lot of them. Um, they might be friendly, you don't know. I, was like, I guess it's admirable, but it's also dumb. So, so it's kind of a mixed bag. And uh, the last thing was just, as I said, the, the moment between Horshi and Flocks, which is very, you've you've protected me and you've looked after me, so I'm here to repay the favour. You didn't even have to ask is a very kind of neat, uh, nice little moment that feeds into that kind of moral high ground, I guess. So, yeah. Uh, right then, so what we'll do then, uh, before I go on to the audience interaction, uh, I will just ask you for your conclusion. If you have one, and your score out of five Starfleet Deltas. I mean, I, I did pretty much sum it up a minute ago, I think. So that was yeah. the kind of like um, my, my summary of it was what I said a second ago. Um, I enjoyed the episode as, as, a, as a story. I think the story was worth those kind of slightly continuity headache moments i think mm. um because we got a good story out of it and that's that's what is the most important thing i think and out of deltas we're doing out of five are we it's out of five deltas yeah but i mean you can go like 0. 0.5 or 0. 0.25 if you want to okay, okay i'm gonna give it four deltas out of five okay wow that's high quite high uh, higher than i might have thought but yeah that's awesome. it's high i'm tired I'm, I'm used to judging out of 10 so it's hard to adjust to a out of five um... well so eight out of 10 <laughs> I, suppose, I suppose that is equivalent of an eight maybe i'll do what would be the equivalent of a seven okay maybe let's drop it to three and a half out of 3.5 okay yeah 3.5 that's fair enough. Awesome. Um, yeah, I know you guys three out of 10 scutters on your Red Dwarf podcast. Mm. <laughs> um, I just didn't, I was too lazy and didn't want to have to do 10 deltas every time I put the image on screen. <laughs> fair enough. 
Um, right. Well, I'll, I'll just jump into my conclusion. It's quite do bear with. It. It's a bit long winded, but I just have to get the thoughts written down to to read back. Uh, and I just said it was an episode that induced groans initially as information leaked about it. The Borg again. Uh, how a ship as primitive as a pre-Kirk Enterprise could take them on was a real concern. But the episode does thread that needle surprisingly well by keeping the Borg threat to a tiny number of drones who are damaged and still repairing, while still proving how dangerous that threat could get if Archer and co. hadn't acted quickly. Less impressive is the Flock subplot, which, and I'm sorry to invoke the word, kind of spits in the face of canon and devalues a lot of uh, Borg episodes with audience knowledge that there is some way back for all of the kind of murdered drones and stuff. but. Again, I guess we touched on an explanation for that, so... Okay. Uh, once again, specifics about how assimilation and linking to the collective work are totally changed to fit the story, uh, with no real logical consistency for me. Uh, finally, though, it's really clever and Im impactful that the episode throws the predestination paradox at you, but again, it leaves the Enterprise crew and Starfleet looking criminally stupid and negligent, that they didn't leave any kind of heads up about the oncoming invasion for the future Picard and Co. Uh, it's a good job Q was there, I guess. Uh, to conclude, it's a well-made episode with unfortunate story flaws, but it's an exciting enough watch with a neat horror homage, mostly great performances, cool effects, and a little bit of fan service. Uh, not as bad as initially feared, and one of the less boring installments of Enterprise's first couple of seasons, at least, even if everything is wrapped up a bit too quickly and efficiently for what should be a much greater threat. Uh, and I went with 2.5 Starfleet Deltas out of 5, uh, which... It's good because conveniently it means that uh, the overall score then, putting them together to work out the average is easy. Uh, and that would mean the podcast has decided that regeneration is three out of five Starfleet Deltas. Which I think is fair. Pretty much middle of the road, uh, slightly higher. So, yeah. yeah. Last thing I do is just uh, an audience interaction thing, uh, which I call subspace communications. Incoming transmission. Uh, and that is just basically... Uh, I tweet out before I do all these recordings what uh, what were your thoughts on this episode. Uh, so I asked, you know, what did you think about the Enterprise episode regeneration? Uh, and I have just a few people's uh, responses to read out. Hopefully it won't take too long. Uh, the first one is from atmangler112, who says, I liked the first contact connection, but it definitely felt out of place and too much fan service because the ratings were going down for the show. Uh, it's why they came up with the Zindi storyline to bring viewers back. Okay, I think there's some speculation and stuff in there, but that's probably fair enough. Um, at Alex J. Harmon says, this is one of my favorite episodes, a terrifying edge of your seat ep that really delivered, still has me buzzing after every rewatch. Okay, cool. Uh, at James underscore Horse King says, if the series had been more critically successful with higher viewers, they wouldn't have felt the need to resort to it. But that said, as an episode with everything else ignored, it's an enjoyable guilty pleasure. I suppose that's probably a fair way to put it, actually, yeah. Um, at MattBob84 says, I like that it fed off first contact. They would not have known that they were Borg, but just some cybernetic alien. The time frame for the sent message was good too. Was it tied in well with QWho? Uh, fair enough. Night Star Fury says, I thought it was pretty terrifying, especially as the Borg were already on their way by the time of next gen. That said, I'm not going to get into temporal mechanics or paradoxes regarding the Borg, as I'd likely end up with a headache for my trouble. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Rich Dog Dad Chicago Gay says, uh, the only discontinuity that bothered me is that Starfleet had recording and evidence, bioscans, pics, etc., uh, but no mention of it anywhere in Next Gen or Voyager. I would have liked if there was no scans or data left behind somehow. Uh, yeah, that's fair enough. Uh, at Mark J. Lilly says, any excuse to have a Borg episode with nice wee nods to Zephram Cochran, which I thought was suitably nostalgic. Uh, at WB Morton says, I enjoyed it as a sequel and prequel rolled into one episode. Uh, at Madahar Jazz says the best episode by far. Okay. 
Uh, and John Glasgow says, did not like, not even a little bit. I loved Enterprise while simultaneously hating so many things about it. The endless retconning ruined so many episodes and that finale. But on the plus side, season three was superb. So you got into a bit of a, an overall uh, yeah. review of the series, perhaps a bit more than just this individual episode. Uh, all that remains then is for me to say thank you so much for joining me, Phil, for uh, returning the uh, podcast guesting favours. My pleasure. <laughs> I hope you had a good time. It was great uh, talking all things Trek with you. Um, this is your chance to plug everything else you've got going on. Is there anywhere you want people to uh, to go over oh, to? Yeah. Or, or to well, you can, um, well, you've mentioned it several times, but uh, we do have a podcast called Everybody's Dead Dave, which is a Red Dwarf review podcast. Myself and my co-host, Adam Martin, who is he's a complete newbie to Red Dwarf, uh, going through the episodes for the very first time. I've been a fan for decades that's the basic but but we also have guest reviewers on such as mike here has been on for an episode as well i forgot which episode you reviewed which one was it uh i reviewed blue the uh, blue, arnold rimmer it. song episode <laughs> that's it yeah so go check go check that out um and you can find that on all usual podcast platforms but also on my youtube channel which is just um phil philip hawkins philip well, yeah i'm trying to remember if i called it phil hawkins or philip hawkins now <laughs> philip hawkins philip with one l um, and I talk about, as well as that podcast being up there, Doctor Who, Star Trek. I'm currently reviewing Star Trek uh, Discovery as it goes out weekly. And uh, just basically any geeky pop culture I like, I talk about on there. And then you can find me on Twitter as well, which is at Culture Filter. And Filter is spelled P-H-I-L <laughs> because my name is Phil. See what I did there? Ah, clever. <laughs> nice. Uh, yeah, that's fair enough. I think there'll probably be a lot of crossover potentially with people that are listening to this that would be Red Dwarf fans. And I, I would point you towards Phil's page, especially if you're a fan of like Doctor Who and Star Trek, as his reviews are always really good for those as well. And uh, actually kind of well thought out and balanced as opposed to a lot of the YouTube uh, clickbait channels that just rage about nothing for a while. Um, so yeah, again, loved having you on board. Uh, if you want to find me anywhere, audience, uh, I am just at Ian Mike Wilson on Twitter or my name, most other places. Uh, you can always find the links below for other things and bits and pieces. The podcast is at H-O-M Trek or at Home Trek. And uh, yeah, that will conclude the episode. I will be back next week with a review of uh, a, a non-Borg episode for a change again. But we're going back to a, a bizarre kind of AI. Uh, we're reviewing the original series episode, The Changeling. Uh, so do join us for that. Everyone, uh, be nice to each other. Keep uh, flying the old uh, Federation banner. And remember, we are Starfleet. Live long. And prosper. Live long and prosper.